Hi, everyone. This is Fran Burgi, president of Cal State Fullerton, and you are listening to From the Heart with Ed Hart. Well, it's an honor for me. Uh, there's a lot of people that I, I look forward to interviewing all of my guests, but certainly some um, are the ones that I think of when I first launched this podcast several months ago. My guest today, as you just heard, is President Fran Burgi. He's the president of Cal State University Fullerton, which is uh, where I work. I've known Fram since, uh, well, probably met him within the first couple of weeks of when he started. He came in mid-semester 2018, right? Yep. January 2018. Sent an amazingly personable and fun email out to the whole body of the campus about, uh, you know, basically getting up to his office, forgetting his phone, going back down the elevator and a conversation he had. And I just could tell by the way he wrote that email that he was a very personable and approachable guy. So I sent a quick email back and don't know when it was, but we responded. We, we started having some interaction. So Fram, it's really good to have you here with me today. Um, a lot of background, just to give you a little bit. He, uh, prior to coming to Cal State Fullerton two and a half years ago, Fram worked for the chancellor's office in the CSU system. He is a lawyer by background and, and by, by training. Um, was probably this close to retirement, I think, if I understand the story correctly, when you were asked to come out of the bullpen and do some relief at Cal State, and now you're our, our main guy. And I know it's been a, an honor for all of us that I talk to anyway at Cal State and, and our community to have you leading us. So let's just start real fast with where would you be right now had you not taken the position as the president of Cal State Fullerton? Well, uh, Ed, I was a lawyer at a big law firm, uh, O'Melveny and Myers, for 30 years uh, in private practice. And um, I decided uh, that I would retire, uh, quote unquote, uh, from being a lawyer at O'Melveny. Um, and uh, my, my partners thought I was absolutely nuts. I was retiring sort of the height of uh, my financial income and expertise. But I had done it for 30 years. And I want, we, Julie and I have a nonprofit in Rwanda. Uh, we have a deaf school and a preschool and a community center. And our plan was to move to Rwanda. And uh, that's what we were doing when I got sidetracked to go to the chancellor's office and become the general counsel and executive vice chancellor. Uh, and then I told the uh, Chancellor White, I do that for five years. Um, and then we were going to Rwanda. And so at the end of that time, I went to him and told him, okay, we're getting ready to go to Rwanda and getting ready for transition. And he said, that's great but I got one more thing I'd like you to think about doing before you go to Rwanda. And I thought, there's no way, there's nothing, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going. And he said, I want you to go to Cal State Fullerton and be president of Cal State Fullerton. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it for about six seconds. I was gonna say, yeah. And said, absolutely, no, no, that's, that's per and here I am. So if I wasn't here, I have little doubt that we would be uh, in Rwanda um, uh, working with, uh, with uh, our, our students there, working with our library there, our egg program, um, uh, trying to make the lives of Rwandans better. Instead, I'm here uh, in, in love with my students and uh, trying to make the future of Orange County and California and the nation better. Excellent. I appreciate that. Well, I'm glad that uh, you were approached to come uh, head up Cal State Fullerton. You talked a little bit about the egg project. I've heard you talk about that before, and I know your wife, Julie, uh, who I know well as well and is one of the sweetest people I've ever met in my life. She she gets down to Rwanda probably a little bit more frequently than you do, given your current role. Can you talk about that egg project and then also just Julie and her role with the foundation now and maybe what your plans are for that? I, we'll talk about the foundation for a bit and then we'll dive back into Cal State Fullerton. Sure. So um, uh, 
this nonprofit, it may, it, it, I don't want to make it sound grand because it is not. It's just us uh, and family and friends and anybody that we can get to share, uh, donate funds to us. Uh, uh, we support a bunch of programs. Uh, we built a library and a community center in a small village outside of the second largest city in Rwanda. Uh, named, uh, the name of that city is Musanzi. So it's way up in the mountains. Uh, very, very, very poor. No electricity, no running water. We built a library community center where kids can come. We have a preschool there. Uh, we started out with about 23 kids in the preschool, um, all, all boys. Uh, and then we hit upon the idea, well, let's feed these kids. Uh, uh, Rwandans are uh, poor, uh, subsistence farmers for the most part, and they're protein deficient. Uh, so especially kids, they, they, they get meat maybe twice a year. Uh, they mostly eat sorghum and corn and starches. Uh, so we said, let's give every kid that comes to the preschool every day an egg. Well, now we have 250 kids in the preschool because they get fed. What uh, eggs. And, and all, a, a whole bunch of girls started coming to school, which is really, really important. So um, that, of course, turned us into chicken farmers because we <laughs> yeah, we to get them many eggs. So now we have a laying farm in the, in the, in the, in the village uh, and, and we employ people to take care of the laying farm. Then they hard boil the eggs and, and serve them at the uh, preschool. We also have a deaf school in Masanzi and we said, well, let's give all the kids at the deaf school an egg every day as well. And so we're, uh, we're taking care of the, about 100 kids in the deaf school, about 250 or 230 in the preschool. Um, so that's, uh, it's a labor of love. How did it start? How did you end up in Rwanda of all places? I mean, there's, you know, thousands of places you could have ended up and, you know, certainly we're all drawn somewhere. What drew you to Rwanda and to start this? Well, you, uh, you know me, Ed, I'm a man of faith and I try to listen to what God has for me to, to tells me to do. Um, and, uh, I will tell you when I was a lawyer, uh, working in a corporate practice, uh, out of Melbourne, uh, I very rarely took any vacation time at all. I worked 24 seven, it was an all encompassing job. And toward the end of the time, uh, one of the things that got me to retire was uh, uh, a, ch a childhood friend and also the pastor of my church said, hey, I'm thinking about going to Rwanda to uh, see if there's anything that we might do in the missions field to help there. Well, it just so happened that Julie had been to the uh, Maria Shriver's uh, women's conference that she used to have in Long Beach every year. And there was a speaker there who was a survivor of the genocide, a woman named Immaculate Iligabizi, who wrote this amazing book called Left to Tell. She was left to tell after the genocide. So Julie and I had started reading about, we felt very ignorant about the genocide and what happened and why. And so we read, and then my buddy Todd said, I'm going to Rwanda, and something told me, just go. Uh, and so I just went, and I came back from Rwanda telling Julie, I think we should move there. I think we, there's... You know, after the genocide, they, in the genocide, they killed all the doctors, all the lawyers, all the teachers, all the professors, anybody of any learning. Uh, 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 and so it, they needed to rebuild their entire infrastructure, their entire uh, society. And I thought it might be helpful. And so that's what we were doing. Um, that's what drew us there. And of course, Julie said, well, before we move there, can I go too? Yeah, let me so, take a look, right? Yeah. So she went and she fell in love even more than I did. Um, and we started uh, Yambi Rwanda, it means embrace or hug Rwanda. We started that and that was where we were going. It's still running full speed. Uh, Julie uh, uh, runs it uh, uh, herself. Uh, she goes usually twice a year. You're right, I don't get there as much as I want to and need to. Um, but uh, 
in addition to the deaf school and the preschool and the egg program, we have an art program for uh, uh, kids in the slums of Rwanda. We get them to come and do art. And while they're doing art, we also feed them and get doctors to look at them and trying to get them uh, connected with family and that sort of thing. Uh, we have a program we send kids to um, boarding schools, uh, kids that are really sharp that we find that uh, we think that they can make a difference in the country. There's some really good schools in Rwanda that uh, you have to pay for. And so we pay for them to go to school. Um, and then we support a program to bring kids to the United States to go to college too. That's awesome. I love that. Lorianne and I went to Guatemala about four years ago on a mission for our church. And We've not really thought seriously about moving down there, but as you're talking, it's like, huh, maybe that's my retirement plan. Maybe <laughs> I speak Spanish. We love it down there. I've been in Ecuador before on mission trips, and now, uh, yeah. So that's great. I, I love that you uh, you follow your heart, which obviously yeah, we'll go we'll go there for sure. We'll yeah, go there for that, yeah, that's some excellent. Point. So you've had, I mean, between launching this foundation in Rwanda, your legal degree, your legal career, your your time now running Cal State Fullerton. As you think back about your career, you're, you're late 50s-ish, right? I'm not going to give away your age, but I kind of know what, about where you are because we're about I'm 59. I don't hide it. I'm 59. This okay, is good right. for me. Sounds good. So you still have a ways to go on the, on the, uh, on the career, it sounds like, if you go till that, that ripe old age of 65, like some of us shoot for. As you think back, Fram, about your career so far, how would you sum it up? I know it's impossible because I've had a lot of jumps from you know sales to sports to education to what have you. If someone asked you in a sentence or two to describe your professional career to this point, how might you do that? Um, I, you know, I would, I would do it in this way. I would say that everything that I've done in my career in weird and strange ways, but that's the way life is and that's the way God works, uh, uh, has have, have brought me to the point where I am to do what I'm doing today. Yeah. So... Uh, I will say that I never felt, uh, while I was while I was very excited and and, and involved in my work as a lawyer uh, for 30 years, I represented Fortune 50 companies all over the country. I was a litigator. Um, I litigated all over the country. I was in the boardrooms for Citigroup and Columbia Pictures and Warner Brothers and you name it. It was heady stuff, uh, financially rewarding, uh, I, but I never felt like okay, this is what I was meant to do. I, I was, I was, look, I'm not shy to say I was really good at it and I would sure. still be really good at it, but, um, it was intellectually challenging and, um, uh, all consuming, but I would not say it was fulfilling. Uh, so, uh, that's what, when I went to Rwanda, I started thinking about, okay, what's my, I, I, I built this career, but where am I going? You know, I, there's a great book, uh, called a second mountain. And the, uh, the, uh, and, and, and the, th the idea behind the book is we all spend our life climbing a mountain. Um, and as we get higher and higher up the mountain, some of us climb far faster than others. We get pro climb professionally and financially, et cetera. And we feel success. Um, and we may even feel happiness as a result of that. But often you get to the top of the mountain and you look around and then you say, now what? There is. Yeah. What have I been doing this for? Yeah. Um, and I got to the top of the mountain, you know, I was at the top of my game as a lawyer and, and, and done everything that I wanted to do. And I was looking around saying, okay, I, I built, I built security for my family. I built a great national reputation as a lawyer. Why? What am I, what is I, what is my, what is, what is the lasting benefit 
to society and to the world and to humanity and to uh, my brothers and sisters on earth that I'm leaving. And I, I couldn't identify anything. So I started climbing my second mountain, which was to find what the author of this book, Second Mountain, says is instead of happiness, you find joy. Nice. Uh, you find joy in life. And now I've found my joy. Uh, so I, this, the idea is I get joy from uh, creating uh, opportunity for others to, to be better, to see themselves, to be successful, to build community, to care for each other. Um, and I felt that at the chancellor's office, even as a lawyer, believe it or not, at sure. the chancellor's office, but I've never felt it anything like I feel it now as a president where I can see it in my students, I can see it in my community. So um, I feel, look, all the things I did as a lawyer prepared me intellectually to do what I do today. Uh, the litigation, the representation of employers and employment cases, the collective bargaining issues, the negotiations of contracts, uh, the reading of legal documents, the leading of law firms, the, you know, the leadership, all, they all prepared me for this intellectually. Um, and I believe my, my life of, of faith and service has pre prepared me emotionally for it. That uh, second mountain book reminds me of another book that I know you've read, Halftime, Moving from oh, yeah. su Success to Significance. I've read that. It's on my shelf behind me. It's probably, it's one of those books I've read half a dozen times. And I, wrote, I write in the margin, not only th thoughts and insights for myself, but who else would enjoy this? And I've probably sent out 30 or 40 copies of that book sure. to people as well. Very similar type of, okay, I've done this, now what type of thing. Yeah. And I will tell you, actually, when I went to Rwanda that first time, um, I read halftime while I was in Rwanda hmm. the first time. And so you can imagine the impact that Absolutely. had as right. I'm reading wow. it and experiencing. And I said, okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm living this. Who are some, I've, you, you, you've taken me where I want to go with some of the questions I have, and I certainly will. I, I would like to get into the impact that you're making and your legacy where you are currently at Cal State Fullerton. But before I go there, I'd like to find out more about who has it had an impact on you when you think back, I know you're a first-generation college student in your family, if I understand correctly, which Cal State Fullerton is a, it's a huge sense of pride that we have. I, I, I'm not that. I, you know, my dad went to college. His dad went to college. But I'm surrounded by, by folks who have gone to or are in college for the first time in their family. You've had a lot of role models growing up, um, family, friends, other people you've worked with. Does anybody or a couple really stand out, and why do they stand out to you as maybe a mentor early on or a role model or a leadership example for you? So you, if anybody's watching this, they saw that I just took off my background because I want to show you something in my awesome. office. Well, you can see the mask, the Rwandan mask behind me. But I'm, really, I'm going to turn the screen because you want to know who my idol is and who my uh, uh, future was. Yeah. There he is right there. Nice. Uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy is the, uh, a huge influence in my life. Uh, I, I told you, uh, no secret, I'm 59 years old. Uh, and so in 1968, when he ran for president, I was six and a half years old, uh, just going into turning seven uh, when he ran in 67. Uh, and so that uh, uh, is the first, he's the first uh, larger than life person that I can remember who was dedicated to making the world a better place. Uh, and look, he was not in, by any way, shape, or form a perfect human being right. any more than the rest of us are. Yeah. But uh, he's, he's been uh, an idol for me. And, and, and in uh, the same year 
Bobby Kennedy and, and Martin Luther King were both assassinated and that I was in second grade and it was hugely impactful upon me. Um, and so the two of them have been pillars of, in my life. I've read a lot and studied them both and they are huge influences on my life. Um, obviously my father is a huge influence in my life as well. Uh, he came from nothing. He was uh, an orphan on the streets of India, uh, stowed away on a freighter uh, and made his way up to being a captain in the British Merchant Marines and then, you know, created a life for us in the United States. So obviously a big influence on me. Um, uh, when I was in my law firm, uh, there are a couple of people that were huge influences on me. One was Warren Christopher, who was the Secretary of State uh, under Clinton and Assistant Secretary of State under Carter. He was a he was the head of our firm, hmm. uh, and uh, uh, I learned a lot and 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 uh, learned about values and and team building, etc. Then I had a couple partners, um, uh, a guy named Scott Dunham uh, and a guy named Gordy Krischer, who who were huge influences on shaping me as a lawyer. So there are lots of people that have shaped me along the way. And I, you know, I would be remiss, by the way, if I also didn't say Tim White, mm -hmm. uh, the current chancellor. You know, he, he, he uh, uh, hijinxed me into this place <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, had me follow, and I fell in love. Uh, and uh, he is an amazing leader uh, and has been a great mentor to me. Uh, and I, I, I love him dearly. What do you hope that people will say about you when, when you're said and done at Cal State Fullerton and people talk about the legacy that Fram and Julie Virgie have left? Because you're the first couple. I mean, you're very much, we, we refer to you as the president and first lady for a very strong reason. I mean, where we see you, we typically see Julie as well and the impact the two of you are making. What are you hoping in a decade or so, hopefully down the road when people talk about your term as president at Cal State Fullerton, that people will say? Well, first of all, it's it, they'll probably say Julie and Fran. Oh, well, that's uh, fine. Yeah, <laughs> as long as you're in the same sentence. Hey, we're Lorianne and Ed on this side. I totally understand that. I totally get it, and I uh, sh her name should go first because she's so amazing. She's the love of my life and also an amazing person. But yeah. I'm teasing, but uh, we are a great team together. Um, you know, the short answer to the question is the same thing that I hope people will say to me when my life is done and over, and that is well done, good and faithful servant. Um, but uh, what I really want uh, it to be more specific about Cal State Fullerton, that we created a vibrant community of, uh, uh, of learning and instruction for our students, preparing them not just for their professions, not just for their first jobs or their second jobs, but to be fully engaged citizens of uh, a greater community, to um, uh, not just desire to build for their family, but to build for their community, to not just take care of their family, but take care of their neighbor, uh, to be community organizers and communally engaged, to vote, to be um, uh, uh, great stewards of an amazing place where we live. Orange County is an amazing place. Southern California is an amazing place. Uh, and there's no greater legacy I could leave than to be part of preparing a whole cohort, a whole generation of people that are gonna go out and change the world. And that's what I believe we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You've come into this university at a time when we've seen some pretty significant challenges. I mean, I, obviously I wanna talk about what are you most proud of and we'll go there, but um, 
you've seen obviously a tragedy or two on campus. Oh yeah. You've seen uh, obviously a lot of unrest civilly prior to even what we're going through now. Obviously the first massive pandemic any of us have lived through that are currently on this planet. Um, now we've got even more racial tension. So as you look at the challenges that you've gone through, and I know I'm missing others, does anything, without diving into the weeds on one in particular detail of any of it, unless you would like to go there, of course, what are you learning about yourself as a leader? First of all, I'll stop there, and then I'll ask my follow-up question. So first, what are you learning about yourself as a leader through these challenges that you've had to lead us through for the last two and a half years? Well, uh, I think what I've learned about myself, maybe what I've confirmed about myself, is that uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a heart leader, um, that, that uh, I lead uh, from the heart as opposed to the head. Uh, and I try to make sure that I think intellectually and carefully and um, uh, about, uh, uh, you know, measuredly about what is right and what is best for the institution and for our students and for the future. Um, but uh, for so long, um, in, in a corporate practice, in a legal, being a litigator, I led with my head um, and my heart followed. Now I lead more with my heart and I let my head follow. So I've become more of a heart leader and that means more of a servant leader. Um, uh, I also uh, have learned that leadership uh, is much more effective when it's horizontal uh, and where uh, you show your vulnerability and you commit to those you are leading with and those that you lead um, and uh, you build trust and empathy with them as opposed to some kind of top-down sure. ivory power type of leadership um, and so i've tried to practice that a lot but so um yeah i think those are the two two, two most important things so that leads me thank you for that that leads me right into and i'm not surprised I, i'm i'm knowing you the way I do, and I'm just getting to know you after the last two and a half years, but I would say that that's how a lot of us would describe you as well. You led me into part two of my question is, what are you learning about your team? Not just your direct reports, but I see your team as the 41,000 students and the 10,000 or so faculty, staff, and administrators at Cal State Fullerton, and the team around you in the community as well. What are you learning or seeing that's inspiring you from other people, maybe during this crisis we're currently in, or as I said, in the two and a half years thus far? Well, I will tell you that I've learned what an incredible and amazing place Cal State Fullerton is, how special it is. Uh, and I'm sure to some degree, every president feels this way about their university and their community. But for me, it is just astounding. Number one, the, the cohesive nature of uh, the faculty and staff and their commitment to uh, furthering uh, the benefit and the development of our students. You know, faculty come from all over the country to teach at Cal State Fullerton. Or they the world for that matter, sure. Absolutely, all over the world. They can teach anywhere. They come from Harvard or Yale or Stanford or Princeton or any uh, other university. And they come here for a mission. Uh, and that is to teach. They come here because they believe in the mission of teaching and instructing and molding as opposed to doing research and doing teaching on the side. So we are a teaching institution that does research, not a research institution that does te teaches on the side. So 
We have so many steeples of excellence among our faculty who do incredible work, incredible work, they, and they always involve our students. But I am equally uh, proud uh, and in love with our students. Yeah. Um, you know, we are number one in California for graduating women, number one in California for graduating Latinx students, number one in the uh, number one in California for graduating uh, uh, Latinas, of course. Sure. But number number two in the nation for graduating students of color, yeah. uh, we have we have uh, you know a fifty six percent I think first gen uh, students. We have all these students from all over, and yet at the same time we're a hugely acad academic and rigorous institution. We had eighty three thousand applications this year to come to Cal State Fullerton wow. for about eight thousand spots. For about eight thousand spots, yeah. yeah. Entering GPA average uh, entering in GPA this year three point seven. I wouldn't have had a shot to get into this. No way. I went to college. No way. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we are a rigorous academic institution, but we serve a demographic that is uh, uh, essential to change the future of this country, the community and this country. These students have a right to come to college, to university, to a four-year comprehensive rigorous university. Uh, they are not, they, they are a strength for us. We, we need them and we want them. And we need to give them every opportunity to build themselves, their families, and their communities and make a difference. That's, and that is what makes us so special. Yeah. Uh, do we have difference? Absolutely. Do we have challenges? Oh my gosh. And uh, are we perfect? Not by a long shot. But we are a long way along the continuum, and I think we are the tip of the spear in so many areas of innovation and change. What I say is, as Cal State Fullerton goes, Orange County is going to go next week, California is going to go next year, and the country is going to go in a decade. Well, and that leads me right into the comment I was going to make. As, as a person who's worked at Cal State Fullerton for the last nine years, I grew up in Fullerton. Um, I would say my roots are pretty deep and strong in Fullerton and in Orange County. The statistics that you just quoted, which I was going to mention in the intro, but I, I knew they would come up during the during the conversation. Those statistics aren't necessarily the demographic statistics of Orange County. They will be. In some cases they are. But to me, that's proof that Cal State Fullerton's leading the way. That we have people coming from all over the world here to come to the university before the county has people coming in. And certainly those are not the demographics of Fullerton. Right. We're getting there. But I I'm very proud of that fact as well that the especially the, the, the persons of color and the first generation college students and some of those fantastic statistics that we represent. It just well, it it does a lot about who we are as a university. Orange County is changing faster than uh, we think. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, my goodness, uh, it's going to be a majority minority county in the next uh, few years. Uh, uh, the demographics are changing and that's a that is a good thing that is a great yep. thing because Definitely. it makes california stronger it makes the county stronger but it's something that we have to recognize and it uh it is it does make us the, the tip of the spear for change uh, in the county as well yeah uh, yeah so in your video that you put out today for the fall semester coming up you said let's talk about the elephant in the room and you jokingly talked about your beard and being yeah. referred to as santa or a great grandpa i'm going to talk about the elephant in the room that i even use that term a lot on this podcast covid sure. middle of march well earlier than march you start getting word as a leader of the university that we may be going to a hybrid by mid-march you're now saying hey we're completely 100 percent online 
we don't know if this is gonna last the rest of the semester, into the summer, into the fall, into 2021. Assuming for a moment that um, this does go beyond this calendar year that we're currently in. And even if it doesn't, even if we are some semblance, of, I know we're talking hybrid to a certain extent in the fall already um, with, with changes and so forth. How has this crisis and has this crisis changed? Well, first of all, I guess part one, Bram, what was your vision for Cal State Fullerton pre-2020 or pre-March of 2020? And if it's changed, how has it changed? Sure. Um, no one predicted no. Uh, COVID. Um, and I joke with uh, uh, faculty and staff that six months ago, if I had told them, I think we're just going to go virtual for the semester. Yeah. Uh, everybody's going to have to teach virtual. Everybody's going to uh, teach from their uh, living room. You wouldn't room. be the president of Cal State Fullerton any longer. I, I would have been hard and feathered and run out of town. Yeah. They would have told me it could not happen. It, it, it was not physically possible. But also, if I had said, hey, got, uh, anything about Zoom, they would have said, is that that popsicle you buy at uh, 50s, the Zoom? Yeah. No, right? But amazing, amazing, amazing what our faculty have done. They, uh, they turned on a dime, uh, literally. You know, we got some inclination in January and February that this was a problem. And we began modeling and looking at this in January and February. Come March, we knew we had to make a change. And quite frankly, again, Cal State Fullerton led on this front. Um, we were out front in deciding that we were going to go virtual for the rest of the spring semester uh, before anyone else was doing it. Um, and and uh, it was thanks to our um, faculty and staff that we were able to do it. They committed wholly. You know, in the course of about a week and a half, we took 40,000 kids to virtual learning. We took 6,000 people to working from home. We, we uh, 3,500 faculty started teaching, teaching virtually. And then we took a breath. I mean, only one. Yeah. And what did we do? Then we put our supplemental instruction online. We put our uh, academic counseling online. We put our health center for physical and mental health online. We put our um, uh, uh, diversity and inclusion centers online. We put our male success initiative online. We even put the rec center online. You could go and do <laughs> yoga from home. And yeah. we put ASI online. We put all our clubs online. And when I say online, virtual for all those things. Right. We are doing virtually everything virtual that we were doing live. And we just kept at it. At the same time, we had huge numbers of students who they said, well, I don't have a computer. I don't have, so we handed out, we handed out thousands of laptops. We handed out thousands of laptops and MiFi's and headphones and charging stations. Um, and, you know, so in order so kids, so kids could have instruction. Was it perfect? No. Was spring perfect? No. Right. Was, was it robust? Absolutely. You know, I talked to faculty members and they say, I had greater attendance in spring virtual than I've ever had in my classes before. Some say I had more engagement because my students were sitting in their sweats on their couch with their laptop and they're not afraid to talk. I'm more um, longing for community now probably than ever before because we don't have that casual community like we used to. Right. And so, um, you know, we did a lot of innovative things with our pass not pass and being able to decide that after you knew what your grade was going to be um, uh, to making sure that we extended all the drop deadlines so people could take their courses and, and try to stay up. Uh, and we found that there was a lot of student success. So 
um, I did, if you would ask me, I would not, I would have, the, the question I've been asked for the last couple of years is where does online education fit into Cal State Fullerton? And I've always said, we'll never be virtual, uh, completely virtual. Online will become more important as it becomes more necessary for space requirements and for expanding offerings. And because as it improves as a learning uh, uh, delivery system, we'll get better at it and it'll become more important. Yeah. Now, I think we're gonna come out of COVID into a new normal where hybrid education will be the new normal. I, you know, I read an article in uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education and it was titled COVID, the black swan of higher education. <laughs> this is our transformative piece. Yeah. And I, I, I listened to somebody say something the other day, which I thought was really profound. What they said was, because uh, students come to me and they say, um, I didn't sign up for online education. And I said, I didn't sign up for an online university either. Yeah. I said, but, but, but guess what? You know, two weeks ago, uh, Twitter announced that all their employees after COVID is over can keep working from home. Mm -hmm. Amazon has announced much of the same. Apple has announced much of the same. It's happening all over the country. So what that means is the new normal is going to include a less brick and mortar, less physical presence in, in the jobs that we do. I'm not saying everything's going to go virtual and sit in our living rooms for the rest of our lives, right. but there will be a component to that. So you need to learn how to do a job virtually. What better way to do that than learning how to learn you know, while you're doing it? Yeah. So we are at the beginning of a new frontier where we're teaching our students how to learn virtually so they can work virtually. If you had a chance, well, you, I'm going to give you the chance now. Look at that little dot on your camera. Talk right into the eyes of that student that is on the fence about coming back because it's going virtual. Or that student who maybe just graduated from, from high school and is thinking, you know, do I really want to start my career in a virtual education? I know you sort of addressed that just a moment ago, but any, any one big message you'd like to give to that returning student at Cal State Fullerton or that student that's maybe been accepted, but they're still teetering on whether they want to start now or delay? I would say don't delay whatever you do. We look at uh, the uh, statistics for students that take a gap year or stop out during their education. And it's dramatic how many students never come back or actually never start. I meet people every day who said, you know, I went to two years of college or I went to three years of college and I took a semester off and I never went back. And it's 30 years later and I never got my degree. I talk to people all the time that say, I just, I went to work out of high school and my plan was to go to college, but I never got back to it. Please, please, please. We will make this robust, exciting, engaging learning. Come, do not take time off. If you're transferring from community college, get to us. If you're coming in for the first time, give it a try. Um, if you're returning, I know that you may not have had a great time in spring, but it's going to be better in fall. All summer, we've, we, we've offered a panoply of, of courses and uh, uh, activities and seminars for our faculty to improve their online acumen in, in providing instruction. Um, we are committed to providing a highly robust uh, learning environment. And we're just, it's only gonna get better and better and better. So stay with it, because we will be back to face-to-face -to -face learning. Yeah. It may not be, uh, it's not gonna be this fall, 
It may not even be spring. You know, I hope it is. Right. I think there'll be more, more on face-to-face -face learning in spring for sure. But we are going to be back. So if you're just starting out, don't delay or you're going to miss and you're going to fall behind. If you're, if you're in the middle of this, don't take time up. You need to finish. You know, uh, for every year that you delay your graduation, that's a, that's a delay in the uh, earnings capacity that you have when you graduate, but also a delay in your development in your career, in your profession, because though th th this is lifelong learning, you're going to continue to develop as a person and your, in your, and your acumen and, and your skills. So let's not delay that. Yeah. Uh, please, please, please come. I appreciate that. What do you hope our campus looks like? How do you hope it looks different? I don't mean look by like physical appearance or student body, but just in our culture. What do you hope the culture at Cal State Fullerton evolves into as a result of COVID, the unrest, everything we're going through right now, which is 2020 has, you know, by all accounts, been one of the toughest years in, in human history that many of us can recount. What do you hope our culture looks like that might be different when we do eventually come back and we're walking into campus every day and we're in line at Starbucks and we're battling for parking and I drive down Nutwood and I see your car in your spot. What's our culture look like if, if you could sprinkle the dust? So I think you have a, if you wanted a vision of what it would look like, look at our strategic plan and what our strategic plan uh, uh, is designed to move us toward. Look at our physical master plan that's going before the board of trustees next week and what it makes us look like. But I, the, the, uh, it's almost like answering the question of what will be, if people ask about my legacy, what would I, what I would want it to be. And what I want, would want it to be is building an inclusive excellence community, a community where everyone is welcome, <laughs> everybody feels included, there's equity for everyone, where um, diversity is celebrated. It is not just diversity for diversity's sake, but it's seen as a strength. Yeah. And we are a community with core values of respect and care and love for each other. Uh, and that we will learn uh, our in our respective areas, but continue to learn together in interdisciplinary activity. So that when we leave, we spread exactly that as we go out into community. Yeah. Boy, sign me up. If you need somebody to help advocate in any way on that, I'm in. I, I'm with you on that. I, the diversity and in family businesses that I work with and the diversity exactly. in the students that I've gotten to know and the opportunity that Tam and I had to take a very diverse group of students to Vietnam for 10 days and hopefully be able to do that again. The, the diversity and the strength that has come from, from people from all over the world is what made, has made, I think our county, our country, and certainly our campus, you know, tremendously powerful for me and the impact I've seen on others as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. I appreciate that. You have a podcast, Fram and Friends. Tell me the impetus behind that. And I've, I've seen a lot of your guests. I know a lot of your guests. Um, tell me the why behind that. And, and uh, how's that going right now during all of this? I'm sure, like many things, it's had to potentially pause a little. Maybe it hasn't. Um, the impetus is probably the, uh, the, uh, the same as yours for your podcast, but maybe it's just uh, a little bit more, a little bit different. I want, I believe that Cal State Fullerton is a center of excellence in California that needs to be celebrated. And so one of my goals um, as president is to actually find vehicles for sharing how great we are. Um, when I first got here, everybody said, oh, Cal State Fullerton, best kept secret in Orange County. And I said, no, 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 best, yes. Secret, no. 
So everywhere I go and everything I do, I want to share. It's very easy because there's so much to share. The excellence of Cal State Fullerton. Well, our podcast is one opportunity for sharing that. But what I've tried to do is bring guests onto that show who are highly impactful in our community so that our community can get to know them better, know the motivations for why they are there, know what they do. There's so many amazing things going on at Cal State Fullerton, um, whether it's in our diversity work, in our athletics, in our, um, uh, in our alumni association. Uh, there's so many things going on. And I think the more our community knows, the Titan community knows about what we're doing, the, the more we will feel proud, strong, and the more we'll share that. And that feeds on itself, absolutely feeds on itself. So the goal is, to celebrate people who are doing amazing things. It's a way of highlighting them because uh, they need to be um, lauded and acknowledged for what they do. And it's a way of building community. This wasn't one of my questions, but it's something I've thought about. You, you are so passionate about the organization you lead and the people you work with. And I see that everywhere I go when I talk to people. Back in the day when I'd go to this building behind me here, when I could actually be there, I'm pointing right now to those that are watching pretty much to Fram's office here on the top floor of the the college park building. So you're in that top floor, you get on the elevator, someone gets on the elevator that you don't recognize. It doesn't know anything about the university. Here's where the elevator pitch comes in. You've got 10 floors from the top down to the bottom. Give me your, your, your 10 floor elevator pitch about Cal state Fullerton. Oh, well, it would be different for everybody. So I, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't give a pitch to that person. Probably what I'd ask say. So Tell me your name. What do you do here? I love to learn from people because it'll surprise me. Sometimes there'll be a student and I didn't think they were a student. I thought they were a member of staff. Often there'll be a faculty member and they're, and I think <laughs> student because I'm getting kind of old in the tooth. But so, it, you know, if you're a student, what are you studying and why? How, tell me about your passion. You know, what are you passionate about? If you're a faculty member, what's your research about? Because I want to know about it because I want to tell everybody all about it and all the great things you're doing. If you're a staff member, um, why are you here? What's the immor- most important thing to you? So I'm excited to learn from others what makes them so stuck to this place. Yeah. Uh, so in the elevator, when, in my office going up and down, I'm trying to gather questions and gather info, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. when I talk to um, uh, anybody outside of our community, it's the things that I've said. I've said, did you know that Cal State Fullerton is the largest of the CSUs? Did you know we're the, the, the largest undergraduate program in California? Uh, did you know that uh, it, it, the entering GPA is 3.7? Did you know that Duke, uh, a professor at Duke University has said that we are number 13 in, uh, out of, uh, of, of hundreds of the universities in California for, for academic rigor? Uh, did you know that more than 50% of our kids are first-generation students? Did you know that half of our, half of our kids with Pell Grants and S- State University grant programs um, and, and uh, Cal Grants go to school, tuition, their tuition is paid for? That, thank you to the state of California. But did you know what an economic engine Cal State Fullerton is? Sure. That we pump, we are the, the, the ninth largest employer in, or in, in Orange County. We pump huge amounts out into the economy. And if you take into account our 300,000 alumni, 80% of whom live within 50 miles of our campus, we are the, the economic engine of Orange County. Yeah. Did you know all those things? Because you should be proud of your Cal State Fullerton. 
makes me want to run out and buy some Titan colored shirts and, and hats and, and, uh, and represent even more than I currently do. I also like, I haven't heard a statistic on this and maybe I'm making this up, but my hunch would be that that gap between the investment, let's say tuition and return on investment salary is probably pretty, a pretty big gap given that we are one of the more affordable universities in the state and in the country. And I know I've seen numbers on what our average income is for our graduates. So to me, if I'm an incoming freshman or junior college transfer, I'm certainly going to look at what's it going to cost me to go there and what's my return going to be. And I would think that that gap is probably pretty significant at Cal State Fullerton. Yeah, the, um, you know, there is this, uh, in the last couple of years, it's come into vogue the question of questioning the value of a, of a college degree and does it really, right. is it really worth it? Um, and, and that might actually it doesn't even, it doesn't, I don't think it makes sense under any circumstance, but it might make more sense if what you were doing was going to a university, no, no uh, aspersions to them, but that costs $75,000 a year in tuition to go to that university. And sure. there are plenty of those universities. Absolutely. So that you come out of your university after four or five years with, you know, $400,000 in debt or $300,000 in debt. Um, half of our students at Cal State Fullerton, half of our students come out debt-free. That's amazing. No debt. And for the other half, not for the entire group, but the other half that has debt, the average debt is about $13,000. Yeah, and that's something that is, is, is much better than anywhere else that we can talk about. Just They're just gonna better. earn that in the first year that they're out of school, yeah. they're gonna be able to, to, to cover that. And the, the, the studies and the statistics are replete with it. There, there is no better uh, vehicle for socioeconomic elevation of, of a person and their family than a college degree. Still today, yeah. the difference in the delta between a high school graduate earnings and a college degree earning BA is exponential. By the way, uh, to, my, to my students, it gets even more exponential at the master's and the doctorate degree level. So right. don't be afraid to continue your education. You can get your BA, go to work, work part-time and get your master's, get your PhD. That, that, that is absolutely doable. And it's especially doable in the CSU system when, uh, when uh, uh, tuitions are for the, the kind of high level, uh, excellent education we provide. They're the lowest in the country. Yeah. Period. And I know you were a swimmer in college, I believe. So athletics, water polo, water polo, water polo. That's right. So I know that athletics is an important part of, of, of your heritage and your background. I've seen you back when we used to be able to do this at, you know, Titan athletic events, basketball, baseball, softball, you name it. What are you telling our, our current athletes at Cal State Fullerton who missed out on their senior or their spring year of, of sports? I know you're actively engaged with our coaches and with, I know a lot of the players because I see you on Twitter and I also just know you and I know where I see you when I'm on campus. What message have you been giving and what types of conversations you've been having with our, our young athletes and our coaches right now? So um, you are right. I love college sports. Um, I particularly love Titan sports, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> you will find Julie and I at every basketball game we can get to, every baseball, softball, men's and women's soccer, volleyball, cross country, uh, uh, tennis. Any, uh, I don't want to leave anybody out. Right, right, right. Yeah, too many to name, but yeah, we get that. Yeah, we we go to everything we can. We love it. Um, I am a true believer 
in the benefit of uh, college athletics to students. Our students are uh, uh, scholar athletes. They're here for school first, um, and they're here for athletics second. And yet we are division one, highly competitive, national championships. We're a great uh, athletic uh, endeavor. Um, and I love our, our, our athletes and I love our coaches. Um, it was hugely disappointing for me and I can only imagine crushing for our athletes and our coaches when we had to cancel the season in spring last year. Yeah. Uh, uh, these are kids, I call them kids because they're my kids, but these are students who have worked their whole life to get to this point to play uh, uh, college level athletics. And most of them will not go on to, into pro sports. This right. is it. Yeah. This is their time for doing this. And to take that away from them, Oh my God, it hurt so bad. But by the way, it didn't hurt any less or any more rather than what I had to do when we had to close down the musical that was ready to, to open right. and the play that was ready to open um, and the, the choral performances and our orchestra and all the things that our other students at performing arts or in the visual arts we're gonna be able to do or the capstone projects of our engineers, the, the Titan Rover and the Titan Baja and the Titan Formula One programs. I mean, uh, all of those, right? So it was hard, hard, hard stuff. I, you could not make the decision to go virtual and not consider those things. And yet we did because I care more about the health and safety of our students, faculty, and staff than I do that. It's hard, but it has to be done. And now, I mean, uh, uh, now we're facing fall. Right. And uh, uh, the question is, can we come back with fall sports? And, you know, if you asked me two weeks ago, things were going a lot better with COVID uh, than they're going right now. And I might've said, you know, there's a glimmer. And now I'm very, very, uh, sanguine. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't know that that's going to happen. No, but there's a lot more skepticism that we all feel now with where we are in California, in particular. We're not bringing students back to campus for class. Right. Right. So how can I justify kids going in in a, in a soccer game and beating up on each other and 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 cla clashing and colliding? Because my number one priority is health and safety health of those safety. kids. If yeah. one person not just one of our students or one of our faculty or one of our staff, but one person gets sick with COVID and dies because we brought people back. I don't know that I can live with mistake. myself. Right. I, you know, so science-based, absolutely. Facts, facts, facts. Talk to epidemiologists, talk to doctors. We are blessed to have a great uh, 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 hospital systems in Orange County, uh, UCI and, St. Joe's and, uh, uh, you know, chalk and everything talk else. To, chalk, exactly. Chalk, talk to the epidemiologist. What do they say? Listen to them. What precautions could we take? How safe would it be? What's the level of time? And, and pay attention to that and make that the North Star. If we can bring people back and bring them back relatively safely so that we are confident that we're not putting them at risk or the families at risk, we'll bring them back. Yeah. And if we can't, we won't. And uh, you know, I know that won't be popular, but I would rather these people be around to be mad at me than not be around. Yeah. And your, your message at the beginning of March has been the same message that a lot of us have been echoing and I've been saying anywhere anyone will listen. And that isn't in a lot of places, but where people will listen, I will always say we need to err on the side of caution as opposed to the side of carelessness because 
you're protecting lives. Yeah. What, what's happening in our economy is devastation and it's horrible. And you and I both know business leaders and owners who may not be back in that same role when this is all, when the dust settles, but hopefully they'll still be here because they can restart a business. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's incredibly hard. Um, I, you know, uh, look, I've been hunkered down, bunkered down, sequestered down, whatever you want to call it since this all started. And, uh, uh, for trying to protect not just my family, but my entire community, the whole Titan community by being careful and being a good leader. I am so tired of it. I keep yeah. saying my butt is getting <laughs> fatter and flatter every day because all I do is sit on Zoom calls all day long. I want to be back on campus as much or more than anybody, but only when it's safe to do so. Yeah, I've, I can, heard, I've heard not to make light of any of this situation, but I have heard that the 19 in COVID-19 refers to the amount of weight we're all going to gain during all of this. The freshman 15 is the COVID-19 for this. You know, uh, and also, you know, regardless of what some uh, government leaders might say, the CDC is telling us it's not safe. The California Department of Health is not telling us it's not safe. The Orange County Health Agency is saying, not sure. The governor, so I have to answer to the CDC, the Department of Health, the governor, the chancellor, the Orange County Department of Health, they all have to tell me it's safe, and then I have to believe it's safe. And all those messages are probably consistent right now. You're probably hearing the same message. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So let's end on a little bit of fun and good news here. Um, Let's talk about the upside to, for you and Julie, what's a a day in the life? I know for Lorianne and I now, we get our morning coffee and waffles, which we didn't always get. We get an occasional lunch break where we'll play a game of Yahtzee or we'll you know, do something fun for an hour because we're having lunch in the same house now. Um, our routine is certainly different. I, I'm longing for getting back here to campus and seeing you on campus and not, and driving down Nutwood and not seeing empty parking lots. I'm just I'm just longing for that to the point where if I talk about it, I get emotional, like I know you do. But what's been some of the good stuff that you and Julie have been able to do? Maybe new routines or or fun things that wouldn't have happened if not for this. Well. Um... First of all, uh, we get to spend you know, most our, our time together. I know that when I'm finished with the meeting, I can walk in the other room in 30 seconds and find the love of my life mm-hmm. and you get to be together. So uh, that's great. Uh, I am uh, hugely, hugely attached to my dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my, I have a Great Dane and, and uh, St. Bernard Irish Wolfhound mix, two big, huge, almost 200 pound mm-hmm. dogs. And one of them is laying right next to me right now. And I get to spend so much time with them. And that gives me so much joy. Um, at the end of the day, every night, you know, around 7, 7.30, we will go outside and sit uh, uh, in a, on our back porch and take in the beautiful grounds of Eldorado Ranch and sit there until it gets dark and just talk and hold hands and, and enjoy each other. It's a wonderful thing. Um, uh, we don't have any destinations to go to. So yep. what we do is we get in the car and go for a drive. And I, you know, my parents used to say that you would get in the car and go for a drive. And I thought they were crazy, but it's just time to be together and see different scenery. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, Ed, but uh, uh, five weeks ago, I got a hip replacement. Oh, I and, did not know that. And so I'm, uh, you know, it's if, uh, just, just past the five week mark. So now I'm doing rehab. So I got to walk every day. So I walk 30 minutes every day and Jules walks with me. Hmm. Um, and so uh, uh, that's a great time together. We, 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 we walk the dogs together. It's a great time together. 
Uh, two of our sons live with us. I get to be with them and see them and, uh, and talk to them every day, which is also great. So um, cooking together, yep. uh, e eating together um, too much and too yep. often. Uh, 19, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to fill the day in my brain and going on on the campus. So she's my uh, uh, reality check. Yeah. Sounds reality. like your days, other than maybe knock on wood, that hip replacement, uh, <laughs> our days are very similar. Um, time with my wife, my daughter, two of our grandsons are here, a dog. Uh, he, our dog Jackson lives for playing ball in the backyard, which <clears throat> I'm sure will happen at some point today or this evening. What's the best thing about being President Fram Virgie, President of Cal State Fullerton? Um, being able to walk on the campus among students, uh, talk to them, hear their stories, be inspired. Uh, you know, uh, they bring me to tears every time I'm on campus and talk to them with what they have uh, overcome to get to Fullerton in the first place and where their dreams are uh, for them to go. For me, that is the reason for this job, uh, being able to sit with faculty and staff members and hear the stories of how they have worked with uh, our students. You know, I, I have, a, 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 it's very simple. I ask two questions of students when I'm on campus. Uh, I say, uh, uh, what do you like best about Cal State Fullerton? And what would you change if you could? Um, and when I ask, what do you like best about Cal State Fullerton? I can almost predict what they're gonna say. 50% of the time they say, my fellow students, the community that I have with my fellow students. They are, they, they are the reason I come to school. I love them. I found my family. I found my people. I found my cohort. I found, uh, you know, and, and, and that's amazing. The other half of the time they say, uh, my fac uh, the faculty or the, or, or the staff, and then they immediately go to a person. And they, and Ed, I am not kidding you. They say, I have heard so many times, this person saved my life. Uh, I was uh, I was having a, an anxiety attack because I didn't know whether I could actually I belonged here, whether I should I'm a poser, whether I and they and they and they shared with me. I was actually contemplating suicide, and they put their uh, uh, phone number up on the whiteboard the first day, and I called them, and they answered at two in the morning, and they came and got me, and they saved my life. I mean. That is, this person inspired me to become a doctor. This person inspired me to become a social worker. This person inspired me to run for office. This person inspired, this is what, and it's faculty all the time, but everybody on our campus is an educator. Yeah. Um, and everybody needs someone. And so uh, the best part about being me is I get to hear and see and be saturated with all that and then turn around and pour it out to everybody else and say, can you, do you understand how amazing this place is and what, you need to invest in it. Yeah. You need to invest in, the, invest in the future. This is the future, not of just Orange County, this is the future of the world. This is, the, you wanna make the world a better place? We're doing it every day. You got a, a launching pad right here. 
So you just answered your first question when I asked you the best thing about being President Vergie. You sort of answered that first question that you ask others, but you teed it up for me, so I have to hit it. The second question, you said, what would you change? So two last questions. Question number one, what would you change? And then the last question is the question I ask all my guests, and I'll save that till you're done with this answer. So what, what, when I ask students what will they would change, I say, and what would you change? And you can't say parking. Yeah, well, yeah. Because right? otherwise yeah. they'll always say yeah. parking. Yeah. And you Uber, know, they, Uber, don't yeah. have a, they don't usually have a lot to say. It's very specialized. You know, well, I had this one professor I didn't like, or I had this one experience, or, um, you know, I, I didn't get the financial aid that I wanted, or I had this class that it's very specialized. But if there's one thing I want to change on Cal State Fullerton, it is actually to make us even more inclusive and in, uh, as a community. Yeah. Um, I want everyone on our campus to feel equitable inclusivity for excellence for everyone. Um, mutual respect, uh, caring about each other. Um, you know, and we are not perfect. We, there, uh, there is no question in our country and in our community that there is institutional racism, that there is systemic racism built into uh, what, what brought us to this point. And that is true at Cal State Fullerton too. So we have to root it out. We have to find it and we have to address it. We have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge uh, uh, that there is something called white privilege. We have to acknowledge that and, and accept it and then move to change it. Uh, I want to, so that involves uh, increasing opportunity for uh, uh, students of color, for faculty of color, for, for staff of color, for development, not just of color, but uh, uh, trans, trans students on our campus, uh, uh, people from every walk of life. We are all in this together. Um, and and we, uh, everybody deserves life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it has to be a truth that we actually strive and per pursue. And I believe, I don't believe that the, um, co uh, the COVID pandemic is the pandemic of our time. I believe this is the pandemic of our time. And that this is the pandemic we have to overcome. No, I appreciate that. And I think that the, 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 the great thing about your answer there, and I think your vision for what we are becoming and can become even more as a university and as a, as a country and community is it needs to start with leaders and people who are passionate about it and people who don't, aren't leading just from the perspective of, hey, this benefits me the most. Because it's so easy to say, well, I want it to be this way because I'm going to benefit. But it's so obvious to, to me and to those around you and hopefully those listening and watching today that your desire for that has nothing to do with what's best for Fram and Fram's family. It's what's best for humanity and, and for our society. So thank you for being so real and honest with me on that. I really, really appreciate that. So you have a podcast, as I alluded to, Fram and Friends. I have a podcast, From the Heart. I've often joked that when we finally get together, we're going to call this episode and we maybe will market it as such as Fram the Heart. Because, you know, what an honor it is for me to combine with you because you're not only my boss's boss and maybe my boss's boss's boss. I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the org chart lately. But, um, you know, it, it, it's an honor to work under your leadership at Cal State Fullerton. And I'm speaking on behalf of everybody that I talk to. You're also my friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I sense that first, first and foremost. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed to have you and Julie as, as my friends and to 
And I know that my dad sends his love. My wife, Lorianne, sends her love as well. They both know that I'm talking you, with you today and, and wanted me to pass that along. So with that being said, as, as I just alluded to, the name of the podcast that I launched, um, we're now coming up around episode, episode number 30 or so, I think, um, is From the Heart. So I will finish simply by asking Fram Virgie, what's in your heart? So um, this has been a very emotional um, time for our country and our community uh, over the last few months, but it became even more emotional um, with the uh, highly public, highly despicable, uh, uh, devastatingly tragic death for, of George Floyd. And all that brought up, uh, we have been working at Cal, at Cal State Fullerton on this issue for a long time. I've been working on it since the day I got here. Um, but my heart is breaking for our country and for our nation with the division and the divisiveness in our country. Um, I am proud to be an American. Uh, but, I, but, but my pride in being an American is a pride of the values that are represented in um, the aspirational country that we want to be and need to be. A country that is fully inclusive, that full, provides full and equal opportunity for all, where everyone feels safe, where everybody feels included. And have we made progress? Of course we have over the 200 years of uh, our nation's history. Is it sufficient? Not by a long shot. And there are, there, as I said, there are still systems of racism, institutionalized racism that we don't see, that we don't understand because we don't stop to look for it. And my heart breaks for that and we need to make that change. Uh, I feel like our nation is at an inflection point. Um, and we've been at these points before. Uh, we were at that point uh, at the end of the Civil War um, and some change was made with the Emancipation Proclamation and um, the outlawing of slavery in, in, in the 15th Amendment, but uh, uh, 13th Amendment rather. Uh, boy, lawyers gotta get that right. Um, <laughs> you know, we had another inflection point in 1964 uh, with the passage of the Civil Rights Act and the passage of the Voting Rights Act. It's been a long time since 1964 and we've been, since we've been at the inflection point that we are right now. We all need to come together to make this happen. We all need to be a part of the solution. Um, uh, it cannot be ignored. Uh, so my heart is full of hope. My heart is full of optimism for the future. My heart is full of love for my fellow men and women, my brothers and sisters in this nation and in the world, um, and, and, and for the change that can come. But that change will only come if we are that change. We have to be the change that we seek. And we have to do just what Christ said we should do, which is love our brothers and sisters. And, uh, uh, and as... Uh, a good friend of mine, Pastor Ivan Pitts from the Second Baptist Church preached on just more recently, be the Good Samaritan. Um, the Good Samaritan helped that person on the side of the road because 
the good Samaritan could not be okay if that person was not okay. I cannot be okay unless, Ed, unless you're okay. And I cannot be okay unless all my fellow citizens, my brothers and sisters are okay if they feel safe and included and part of the enterprise. I want everyone to be okay. I want everybody to feel okay. And that's not a platitude. It takes action. So we have to acknowledge and we are beginning the acknowledgement, but then we have to move to action. And I'm hoping that that's where we go. So that's what's on my heart. We're only as happy as our unhappiest child, I heard somebody yeah, once say. Same thing, absolutely. Yeah. Damn, we're all God's children, right? Yeah. Fram, thank you. Usually I've paused by now and ended there, but I just want to, on the record, record my, my gratitude for you, for your leadership, for the role model you are, and for what you're doing for our university. and. Most importantly, as you alluded to a moment ago, I just want to thank you for being my friend. Uh, you got it, buddy. Pleasure to see you on campus. Love being here. Love seeing you. Best to the family. Kiss your wife. Hug your dad. Uh, and we'll get through this, and we'll see each other on campus soon.